Hey, good morning, church. Apart from Brett, who we know as well, are we all well? Brett, leading the way, my friend. Well done. Hey, um, we're going to take a deep dive into a whole new conversation uh, this morning out of the something written by a dude named James. Before we get into that, though, I just want to let you know, well, first of all, I want to brag about you guys. Um, two weeks ago, Jess Everson, and those of you that know her, love her. Those of you that don't yet know her, you're missing out. She's awesome. Uh, she did what Pete just did, which we call platform leading. And uh, she did that for the first time. Um, and it's a really important role. It's, an, it's a role that we take very seriously. It's something that we believe God will use to speak through someone, to encourage people to, to, to take next steps, to connect with him, to, you know, and, and uh, make you know, first-time guests welcome and so on and so forth. And we don't just give that responsibility to anybody. And so Jess, she uh, did that. She does a great job. She brings her best in everything that she does. And she got through that. She was pretty nervous. And I said to our team members this morning, when I see someone nervous, about to do something, they're nervous, it's actually a good sign. It suggests to me that they're taking it very seriously. And uh, she was nervous and did a great, great job. And when she finished, you guys spontaneously applauded her and caught me a bit off guard, by the way. I'm sitting down the front in my spot. Everyone remember that, especially you, Rochelle, in my spot, like Sheldon. And, uh, and you, guys, you guys applauded her. And I, and I made a point after, after our live experience to say to Jess, you need, sweetheart, you need to understand that wasn't a sympathy clap. That was a clap by our people who said, well done. It was evident that you brought your best. And I love that we're becoming a church that wants to see people win and set people up. To, to, to be all that God's called them to be. So well done, guys. I would clap you, except for reverb on the microphone. Um, little, uh, little sneak preview, uh, shifting gears for a second. Little sneak preview. This Friday, uh, we have the opportunity of hosting an event. Uh, it's actually the first time this event's been held. It's called On Mission. And it's gathering all of the uh, leaders from the Churches of Christ around WA, uh, together for some leadership training and, and development. It's a day of development and a day of celebration. And it's happening this Friday, and we're hosting it here. And uh, I'm really, really excited about the opportunity to be able to have uh, guys and girls from all around our state come together. Um, and actually, uh, we're not running it. Well, it's a long story. Um, we kind of are, but it's a long story. Uh, well, we're very involved in it, and, but it's very much for the, for the whole state. And um, we expect that the people coming are going to actually leave with some new uh, information and some new inspiration. And a part of uh, what I am excited about is they're actually going to see a glimpse of some of what God's doing here at Elevate and uh, hopefully be inspired by that, that we're taking consistent next steps as a church and they get to see that, see, see that God's at work. And if he can work here, he can work there, wherever they are. And, uh, you know, some of our team members are taking annual leave to serve at that day and really make sure we play a part in it. But what I want to tell you that because actually some of the progress that we've been making is because God's used you. Because you've taken the next step, be it in giving, serving, praying, all of the above. So well done. Know that even though you won't be here on the Friday, know that that's happening and know that God's going to use what he's doing here to actually 
uh, have an on, a knock-on effect with other churches. So that's pretty cool, hey? Man, you guys are quiet. All right, I know what I'll do. I'll preach in Korean. You got some Korean? I'll preach in Korean. What do you think? That would not go well. Hey, uh, we're um, going to spend the next uh, four or so weeks digging into this letter that is literally Pete's big, fat, chunky Bible towards the back called James. The reason it's called James is it's, it's a letter written by a dude named James. Now, James... The guy that wrote this letter is actually the half-brother G- uh, half of Jesus. Now, how would you like that sort of pressure growing up? James screws up. Mary looks at him and goes, James, why couldn't you be more like your brother? Like, that's a lot. It's a pretty high bar to have to live up to. So, but this is James. But actually, one of the things that I really like, and I'm looking forward to, to, to taking a deep dive into this letter that James wrote over the next few weeks is James grew up in the same house as Jesus. James grew up with the same parents. Joseph wasn't Jesus' biological dad, but he had a father-like authority, as did Mary, as had a mother authority in Jesus' life. James got to see Jesus at the dinner table. James got to see Jesus when he wasn't in the public eye. James got to see, he got to live behind the curtain with Jesus. And you know what? Some people don't know if Jesus is who he claims to be. You cannot be such a good actor that you can be on 33 and a half years, 24-7, 365, and, 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 and be faking it. Because the people closest to you, you'll, you'll slip one moment, you'll have an unguarded moment, and they'll know, ah, you're not all you're cracked up to be. James got to grow up living with Jesus, so much so that he recognized that Jesus was the Son of God went on to serve him, went on to be a leader in the early church, and in fact, went on to write this letter. And the letter was actually written at the time, at the time that he wrote this, the, the, the Jews had kind of spread, um, been uh, Roman uh, rule for, several, for some time, and a lot of persecution over the years. And at this moment, the Jews had spread, a diaspora, and James had written to all of them, really reminding them and bringing home some very, very fundamental truths. Um, and we're going to unpack some of them. Now, if you don't have an old school Bible, you don't have to get an old school Bible. Uh, we've got this uh, access to this, the Bible app, and uh, it's called Version, and you can download it to your smart device of any brand and, um, and follow along over these next uh, four or five weeks. The other thing I wanted, want you to do, and the reason I'm, I'm highlighting this, is there's five chapters. I mean, originally it was just kind of one whole letter, but they're, 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 they're broken down into five chapters, and we're going to spend five weeks, and I would encourage you to, 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 to read a chapter a week. It's not, they're not long, and I read a chapter a week because we're not going to get to everything in each chapter, but let... Let, the, let God's word, let the letter that James wrote marinate around you and uh, see what God speaks to you about. Well, I'm going to start off with something that James wrote right up early in the letter, in what we now know as chapter 1. You can read along if you've got your app open, your Bible open. James wrote to the, to the, to the Jews, to the, 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 the Jewish Christians, don't fool yourself. 
into thinking that you're a listener when you're anything but letting the word go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear. Those who hear and don't act are like those who glance in the mirror, walk away, and two minutes later they have no idea who they are and what they look like. But whoever catches a glimpse of the revealed counsel of God, the free life, even out of the corner of his eye, and sticks with it, is no distracted scatterbrain, but a man or woman of action. And that person will find delight and affirmation in the action. Early 2000s, a new phenomenon kind of uh, swept the, the world. It was called something idle. It started with pop idol in the UK and it spread. Uh, we had Australian idol. America had American idol. Believe it or not, it's Italy had Italian idol. You know, and it was this kind of this franchise that went crazy. Um, thankfully, it finished in 2009 in Australia and we got to move on. Uh, but it's still a thing. Having said that, it's been superseded by several other uh, programs of the same ilk. And I think you, you would probably be aware of, of them. The two most prominent ones now are X Factor and The Voice. And again, they're, they're global kind of franchises as well. I really, really, really love The Voice. Because The Voice auditions come pre-filtered. All of the bozos who can't sing, they've already been eliminated before you and I have to actually switch the TV on. I thank God every second for the producers who pre-filter the bozos, right? But the X Factor, much like Australian Idol did, they actually, in the audition process for the TV, they let some of the people who can't sing on. I guess for our, I don't know, amusement? Me, I think it's for our torture, you don't know if the next person can or can't sing. So you'll turn on X Factor and uh, this person will get up and, and they're terrible. I mean, you know, they might have some, you know, like the moves, you know, they might have the moves like Jagger and all that, but it's a singing contest. Now I can't sing. The good thing for the world is that I know I can't sing. Some of the contestants on X Factor can't sing but they don't know that they can't sing. And so they stand up there and they've, they've got the dress and they've got the, 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 the snapback cap on back to front and uh, they've got all the right words. Yo, yo, judges, what's up? How's it going? You know, all this sort of stuff that, you know, is supposed to suggest you're about to sing really well. And, and then they start singing and they're terrible and the judges are, are kind of sniggering and smirking and, and oftentimes they stop, 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 you know, after 20 painful seconds of listening to them. And this person, you know, the music stops and they're like, look up like, why is the music stopped? Like, you know, I'm just getting warmed up here. You can see. And then the judges will, will tell them, look, honey, or dude, you know, look, that was dreadful. That was terrible. That was... I mean, there's some people that, that they, they maybe had a bad moment and the judges will say to them, hey, listen, come, come back next year and audition, um, but get some lessons and practice in, in the year and, you know, give it another shot. But there's some people that, you, please, don't ever come back. Like, one-way ticket out of here. And, uh, and then they walk off, like, confused and puzzled and, and they, they push through the doors side stage and the camera's waiting for them side stage and, and they don't have their little kind of ticket to the 
to the first round and mum's there to meet them and hug them and console them. I didn't get through. I can't believe. I don't understand why. It's because you can't sing. It's a singing contest. Helps to be able to sing. And you can't. And mum's like, oh, sweetheart, those judges don't know what they're talking about. I know. I know, crying, crying. And then they'll cut away. The person's picked up their bag. They're going down the escalator. And they look at the, the camera. I'll show them. I'll show those judges. You wait. When my first album becomes a number one global hit, those judges will... And we're all sitting at home like, surrender the fantasy, mate. You stink. The judges are there for a reason. The judges are actually meant to reflect back to the contestant reality. They're meant to reflect reality to them. If you're great, they'll say you're great. If you stink, they'll say you stink. And these are people who know. They're industry veterans. They're they're, they're successful artists. They're top shelf producers and musicians. They act as a reflection. And the wise contestants listen to them. The wise contestants know that the judges have a handle on reality. They're sitting objectively listening to you. And if you can sing, they'll say it. If, they, if you can't, they'll say it. And either way, you need to listen. Don't fool yourselves into thinking you're a listener when you're anything but act on what you hear, James wrote. There's three countries in the world. You would have heard of all three of them. Saudi Arabia, Iran, and Afghanistan. These three countries have one thing in common, and that is that Bibles are illegal in these three countries. If you wanted to purchase a Bible, you would be breaking the law. There are some countries in the world where Bibles aren't quite illegal, but they're a a political gray zone. And so various... uh, Organizations around the world exist to actually smuggle Bibles into some other countries of the world, about another 49 uh, countries. And then there's even some pockets, some people groups in the world where the Bible hasn't yet been translated into their native language. So there's not actually a Bible that they would understand if they were given it. Well, you and I understand that we don't have this problem. Our problem with God's word isn't a lack of access. We have got an all-you-can-eat pass. We can access the Bible 24 hours a day for free online, for example. You, just, you, know, you don't even have to download the app. You can just go onto a website. But if you download the app, you can take it with you. We don't have a problem with access. I think in Western world, our challenge is with the application of God's word. And I, I want to just put out a warning and I'm echoing what James is saying. If you've been following Jesus for a while, and if you've been part of a church that teaches God's word for a while, the risk is that you can lag in your application of God's word. The risk is that we can be educated beyond the level of our obedience, that we can have more revelation than we spend time in application. We have a, a knowledge surplus but an application deficit. And that's a risk that we all face. And it's not a new problem. James was writing about it 2,000 years ago. Um, Put the next slide up. How many of you who around in the 90s remember these? They were called magic eye 
optical illusions. And they were everywhere. You went past everything's store and they had them displayed in the, in the shop front window. And you would see people like this staring at them for hours at a time trying to find because apparently there's a hidden image in every single magic eye optical illusion picture. How many of you in the night, how many of you ever saw the image? That's crap. You did not. This this is a hoax, okay? Those of you that never saw the image, guys, relax. There's no image there. I, I, I can tell you from personal experience, doesn't matter what the colors are, how they arrange them, there's no image there. It's, a, it's an absolute hoax. Those that put your hands up, you are liars. Simple as that, okay? Magic eye optical illusion. Should be magic wallet illusion if you ended up buying one of them. But I tried. I did. I was one of those people who would on occasion stand. Quiet, please. And, you know, the people that that pretended to be able to actually see something, they would coach you. Oh, what you need to do is you need to blur your eye vision. What you need to do is you need to kind of zoom back and then you zoom back in again and then you zoom out. and you. It's all just rubbish. But uh, actually some people teach and therefore some people approach God's word this way. That it's meant to not be understood. That it's meant to be so hidden that it's, it's, it's not even applicable. That, you know, whilst I certainly take Pete's point that there's certain things and a lot of things about God that we won't fully understand and, 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 and we won't be able to fully explain, absolutely. But there are things, and Pete made this point, that we need to understand and that God actually wants us to understand. I don't know if you've ever been uh, in this situation or you've or heard about it, but, you know, I hear of people... Uh, they listen to someone teaching from God's word. And at the end of it, you know, 30 minutes, they go, wow, that was really, really, really great. Yeah, yeah, what was great about it? Oh, I didn't understand anything. It was so good. It was so deep. So, so deep. Oh, yeah, 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 me neither. Wow, so deep. Didn't understand a thing. Well, what are you going to do with it? Well, I, I can't do anything with it. I don't understand it. I know what I'll do. I'll go and I'll zoom in and I'll zoom out and I'll blur my vision and maybe one day. And it's called deep teaching. Deep, deep teaching. So deep, you can never get near it. (laughs) You know, we, we actually try to do helpful teaching here at Elevate. Uh, And by the way, it's also deep. Let me, let me give you some examples of some helpful and deep teaching. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest two commandments? Hmm, okay, there's 613 to choose from. Let me pick the deepest two, the two most important. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. And the others like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So I'm meant to love God with everything and love my neighbor it doesn't sound very deep. I can understand that. And it requires me to actually do something. Yeah. It's deep and it's helpful. Deep teaching. Serve. Love. Give. 
pray, invest. <laughs> sound very deep. That's the deep stuff right there, and it's meant to be helpful. So we don't have a problem with accessing. We don't even have a problem a lot of the time with understanding. James, in fact, very intentionally uses a metaphor of a mirror. I don't think they had them around back then, but I think we live in a, a world of funhouse mirrors. Unless that guy really does look like that. <laughs> it's, he's, he's the latest uh, employee of Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. Um, we live in a culture, and Pete was talking about it when we were leading up to our giving this morning. We live in a culture where actually what's reflected back to us isn't real. What's reflected back to us isn't even a, re- a reality of who we are. That mirrors aren't meant to be things that reflect distorted images back to us. They're meant to be things that reflect back images of actual, unadulterated, unfiltered realities. Mirrors don't lie. Mirrors are brutal with the truth. Some of us don't even have mirrors because of, we don't, I get it. The sort of mirror that James is talking about, saying God's word is like a mirror, is actually not the sort of mirror that we're meant to be afraid of. God's mirror, God's word isn't meant to name and shame us. It is meant to reflect to us where we fall short of him. Absolutely. It's meant to reflect who we are in our broken sinfulness, where we let God down, where we don't live up to his standards. God's word's meant to remind us of God's standard, God's holy, God, God. God sees us at this level, but it's not designed to name and shame us. It's not designed as punishment. It's designed as inspiration. It's designed as instruction. It's designed to, for us to say, man, on my own, at this level, at this, at this substandard level that I'm at, I need Jesus to ever be able to bridge up to God. And we see that and we get reminded by that by looking in the mirror but we're meant to look in the mirror and then act on what we see, not just look in the mirror. Because here's a fact. Mirrors don't change things. They merely reflect what is, but they don't change things. And I'll say this, before you run me out of town, let me warn you, some of this, what I'm about to say, might spin you around in your seat. The Bible doesn't change things. By itself, the Bible doesn't change things. Turning up once a week on a Sunday morning, listening to someone teach from God's word for 30 minutes is not going to transform your life any more than going home and standing in front of the mirror for 30 minutes is going to give you a six pack. God's word doesn't work unless we work it. The, be- the blessing's not in the revelation, although we need the revelation. The blessing comes from, James reminding us, from the application. What are we going to do with what we've heard? What are we going to do with what we've learned? What are we going to do with what God's shown us? Don't fool yourselves into thinking you're a listener when you're doing anything but letting the word go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear. Now, hey, 
I'm not sitting up here saying that I always do absolutely everything God instructs me to do on time, on budget, either, either, because nor do you. We don't. We don't. Why don't we? Well, uh, because we get busy. We move on to the next thing. We get distracted. We sometimes God asks us to do stuff that's really hard. So we just kind of don't. There's all sorts of reasons. Taking James's lead here, I actually intentionally don't want to teach anything new this morning. No new content, no new challenge, no next step. Instead, I want to, to dish out some homework this week. And the homework is simply this. This week, think, pray, look back over some notes you've taken and identify something, just one thing. Don't get too kind of tangled up in knots about this. Just one thing that you either know or you get reminded that God has asked you to do. And for whatever reason, no judgment, for whatever reason, you haven't yet got to it. See, there's reasons that God asks us to take next steps. God's trying to build something in us and through us. And he builds course by course by course by course. And if we miss a course, we either don't get to go to the next course and therefore our life is limited or we try to put the next course on and it just keeps crumbling down. There's a reason why God gives us some assignments, asks us to take next steps. So just a little simple Homework assignment this week, inspired by James' words. Don't be people. Let us not be people who fool ourselves into thinking we're listeners if we don't act on what we hear. What is that? You know, we, we spent the last three weeks, some of you were here for some, and some of you are here for all of those last three weeks, listening to Dave Ramsey teach on finances and how we handle God's money as if it's actually God's money. Which it is. And, and Pete and Carleen, they've taken steps along that. And I know many of you have because you've been sharing your stories with me. But maybe some of you haven't yet. You know, it's debt. You've got to get out. It's increased giving. What, you know, maybe God spoke to you in the last three weeks and, and you haven't yet taken that next step. Maybe it's something that God's spoken to you before about praying for something, about reading your Bible more regularly, about serving, joining an Elevate team, about giving or increasing your giving. I, just, just pick one thing for this week. Before we move on for the rest of the, the letter from James, just pick one thing and, and get about that. And make that the thing that you're going to act on what you've heard. Let's see what God does with that. You know, uh, one of the, the most important thing that we can do, the most important act that we can take, in response to what we hear is making a decision. Like Pete talked about, the thief next to Jesus on the cross, whether Jesus is the Son of God, whether he is the Messiah, the Savior, to actually act on that, to actually make a decision, yes or no. And that's the simple choice. At some point in our life, we have to make the decision, yes, Jesus is who he says he is, 
or no, he's not who he says he is. When I was 21, I made the decision, yeah, 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 he is. Jesus is the son of God. He is who he says he is. Many of you have made that same decision, yes. Well, if you've never made that decision, saying, yes, I believe Jesus is who he says he is. He's the son of God. And I know that I need him in order to have a relationship with God. For those of you that have never said yes, but you know that this morning, right now, is your yes moment, then I want you to simply put your hand up. And by putting your hand up, that's you saying yes to Jesus. Yes, I recognize you're the son of God. Yes, I recognize I need you in my life. When I see your hand, you can put it down, and then we're going to pray. So real quickly, before we finish, if you've never made that decision, yes, Jesus, I believe you're the son of God, and yes, I want to follow you. You put your hand up now. When I see your hand, you can put it down, and we're going to pray.